Welcome to Sister Scriptorians, where we are devoted to learning, likening, and lifting others one principle at a time. Episode 139, The Power of the Melchizedek Priesthood. So at the beginning of summer, I learned that within 15 minutes of my house, there are not one but two natural mountain spring water access points. I have lived in the vicinity for 22 years, and I have never heard about this water before. So I was curious, and luckily my husband was too, and you know, if husband is on board, it just it just happens easier, right? And he was so curious that one Saturday night, he went to the store and he bought a three-gallon jug and found one of those access points and he filled the jug up with pure, clean water. It was about after 10 when he returned home, so my littles were down for the night, but my three older boys were still awake. It was fun to offer them water. <laughs> Would you like some water? And it was fun to hear the questions that they asked. Uh, Mom, is this water safe to drink? Is it clean? Where did you say it came from? (laughs) But it was even more fun for them to drink the water and then to be impressed with how cold the water was, especially since it had been a really hot June day. And then came the remarks, oh, mom, this water tastes so good. This water tastes better than the regular water we drink. Is it possible that this water tastes wetter than the regular stuff? Can we have more? (laughs) Yes. They wanted to know where their dad got the water, how he filled the jug up, how much did it cost, how often can we go get it? It was free. Can anyone get the water? Can we go get more? Within 24 hours, the water was gone, which isn't terribly difficult for seven people to do. But the remarkable thing was how eager everyone was to drink the water. There was no wasting water. Instead, there was a desire and an appreciation for this natural gift that we had discovered. Quickly, we would go through the water and the kids were extremely good at telling us when we needed to go get more. And it became an an enjoyable event. It was a nice 15-minute drive to go fill up the jug with refreshing water and then come home. It just felt like we were bringing something magical back to our family. We also noticed that there was always someone there at the access point. Never a crowd, but it was never vacant either. There was just a steady stream of partakers. And as soon as one would leave, another one would show up. And after several weeks, I noticed our consumption started to slow down a little bit. I noticed we weren't drinking as much water. We still desired the spring water over the tap for sure. But I think our taste buds had quickly adapted to the new phenomenon. I don't know if we were tasting the difference anymore. The desire was still there. It just wasn't as strong. The appreciation was still there, but just wasn't as great. It still, this jug had room in our fridge. It took up a significant amount of it. But I noticed that it started to just kind of be like another chore, like going grocery shopping. How, like, how long can we put this chore off for? And once the water jug was filled up, 
people weren't partaking of it as quickly. It just didn't seem as magical anymore. In fact, it had sort of become part of our thing, our routine, what the Hickenloopers do, who we are, was not really special to us anymore. Now, the spiritual parallels are not lost on me. You can relate this experience to Jesus Christ, can't you? Who is the living water. You can relate my family's experience with the water to all the great blessings of the gospel and the priesthood in our lives. How at first we are blown away by its significance and the impact on our lives, the transformation we undergo. That as time goes by, we quickly become accustomed to its impact. That it then becomes ordinary. It becomes a part of our just our who we are, our everyday functioning, our existence. In fact, its blessings and magnitude get lost on us a little because we're so accustomed to living with it. Think about it. Related to the mindset of the blessings that come with scripture study or having the Spirit always be with you. How often have you asked, is he really? Is he always with me? What's it like without him? We can relate it to the blessings of having a living prophet of God. Or even the love that we feel towards our family members. Our appreciation of these treasures in our lives can wane if we don't nurture or keep in remembrance the significance. And actually, their extraordinary influence on our lives. And today, I want to relate this experience of the Hickenloopers and their fresh mountain spring water to the Melchizedek priesthood. And not just how this impacts the sons of God who are ordained to the authority of the priesthood, but to us as daughters of God, who because of our covenants and our setting apart in various church callings, function through the power of the priesthood, sometimes even the authority of the priesthood. The righteous are empowered by God's priesthood, and it isn't ordinary. But it is extraordinary and can have life-altering impacts on each one of us and those that we serve. This is the message in a nutshell that Alma desired the people of Ammonihah to obtain. He desired them to know the plan of redemption and how God delivers that plan to them. It is through the high priesthood after the order of the Son of God, or in other words, as we're more accustomed to hearing it, the Melchizedek priesthood. So Alma in Kerry talk essentially teaches that if their city, the city of Ammonihah, was to have any hope at redemption, it would be through the priesthood of God. The city's course could literally be altered if the pattern of the priesthood was adopted and followed. That is how significant the priesthood is in our lives. These people who are after the order of Nehor, who are not acting in the authority of the priesthood. Their lives could literally be changed. They could literally change the city's direction if they obeyed and conformed to the priesthood of God. So I think a real question you could ask yourself as you listen to this podcast today is, how can I, through the power of the priesthood, impact the lives of those in my sphere, impact them for the better? Or consider the power that light does bring into our dark world. And how can the commandment to not hide your light improve the world around you? What have you been withholding? (laughs) Soul search. What have you been withholding? 
that you need to abundantly give that will literally alter the lives of those around you because you follow after the order of the Son of God. I think just like the water became for my family, I think the Melchizedek priesthood has become kind of ordinary for us in the church. It's who we are. It's what we do. And we've sort of forgotten the impact that it has on our lives, especially for those who have grown up in the church and have not known anything different. We see men who are good and also flawed, ordained to the Melchizedek priesthood, and I think it's easy for us to forget what that really means. Same with us women, how our greatest blessings and what sanctifies all of our efforts is because we are functioning with the power of the priesthood blessings upon us. But yet we struggle. We struggle to know our worth, our capabilities, our roles, and the significance of our contributions. And I'll go out on a limb and say perhaps it's because we do call it the Melchizedek Priesthood. Maybe we've become a little bit removed from who Melchizedek was and why it is his name that does serve as a substitute for the actual name of the priesthood. In Alma chapter 13, Alma refers to this priesthood as his holy order, or the order of his son, or even, Alma says, order of the son, the only begotten of the father. In the Doctrine and Covenants, section 107, verse 3, we are told that the name of this priesthood in its entirety is the holy priesthood after the order of the son of God but it was shortened and called the Melchizedek priesthood in order to avoid overusing the Lord's name. So who was Melchizedek? Whose name was worthy to be acceptable, an acceptable substitute for the Lord's name? And how is Melchizedek actually a type of Jesus Christ, representing and symbolizing through his personal righteous decisions and behaviors? How does it represent and symbolize the Son of God? And how does a careful study of Melchizedek, his people, and the holy priesthood after the order of the Son of God wake us up to the literal power that God has bestowed upon us, that we really need not fear anything that mortality has in store for us? I know those are big and lofty questions to seek answers for, but I want you to try your best. How's that? First, let's learn who Melchizedek is. He was king over the land of Salem around the year 2000 BC. Salem was like the beginnings of Jerusalem, and it was really primitive. And at the time of Melchizedek, the people were wicked. Alma said that they waxed strong in iniquity and abomination. He said that they were full of wickedness and had gone astray. Are we seeing some parallels to the audience that Alma is addressing? Do you see it? Can you see it in our day as well? Well, fortunately for the people of Salem, God sent Melchizedek to them, and he was a mighty man of faith. And this is where the influence of one man who is righteous, who is blessed by God, who has been ordained to the holy priesthood after the order of the Son of God, can have upon an entire group of people Take a moment here and reflect. What if we worked at becoming mighty women of faith? What impact could we have on our street, 
in our schools, in our wards, upon the young women group that we serve, upon the activity day girls, upon the primary class, the Sunday school class that we serve, upon those we minister, all of our associations. What if we, like Melchizedek, strived to establish peace in the land and preached repentance at all times? Like, wonder if we just took away the stigma of repentance. I know that's a hard task, my friends. That takes Christ-like attributes and always striving to be on His side, doesn't it? Not compromising His law and standard, but loving as He did and doing it just the same. That takes searching the scriptures and knowing the character of God, studying His ways, combining principles that seem to be juxtaposed to one another. But we can do that. And we can be led by the power of the priesthood, His priesthood. We can strive to do that. Because Melchizedek did. He reigned under his father, and he was called the Prince of Peace because of the work he did among his people. Can you see how his life was in similitude of Jesus Christ and what his ministry would be? In the Joseph Smith translation of Genesis chapter 14, we learn that Melchizedek worked righteousness. He feared God as a child, and he even stopped the mouths of lions and quenched the violence of fire. Isn't that cool? Wouldn't you love to learn more about that? What faith could we develop if we knew more of his story and his circumstances and could learn how God sanctified him? Because he did strive to work righteousness and appears he didn't fear or doubt his worth or ability because he was partnered with God. Is your partnership with God just as secure? God approved of Melchizedek's efforts and ordained him to be a high priest after the order and covenant which God had made with Enoch. This too is an indication of the high priesthood. God covenanted that everyone ordained should have power by faith to break mountains, to divide the seas, to dry up waters, to turn them out of their course, but to put at defiance the armies of nations, to divide the earth, to break every band, to stand in the presence of God, to do all things according to his will and command, to even subdue principalities and powers by the will of the Son of God. Did you know this? Perhaps like me, you knew, but you had forgotten. Perhaps like me, the exposure that we have to it always lessened its importance because it just became ordinary. It just became who we are, like the mountain spring water. Did you know that once upon the earth, men had this kind of faith and they were translated and they were taken up to heaven? Did you know that this is the faith of the people of Enoch? Because of the influence of the power of the priesthood after the order of the Son of God, as worked and emulated through a righteous man of great faith, the people of Salem, they also began to work righteousness. They changed course, and instead of following after the world, they sought after the city of Enoch. Or in other words, they had their sights on Zion. This is the charge and the example that Alma, that he invited the people of Ammonihah to follow, to seek after and to emulate. This was their rescue plan. 
Alma's faith is remarkable that he believed that this wicked people could change course and be inspired to be like the people of Salem or even the people of Enoch. Spoiler alert, though, they weren't willing, or at least the great majority of them weren't. But still, that didn't stop Alma from educating them on the possibility on what God was willing to do for them. Perhaps the education was going to work against them in the end. Perhaps it would serve as the clear choice that they could have made, but didn't. Remember last week as Alma taught the plan of redemption, he taught them that God knew that the redemption would need to take place and that after the fall, this was how, and that after the fall, this was now his work to communicate with the children of men about redemption. His holy order, the order of his son, through the ordaining of priests to it, is the way he would communicate with his children. The manner in which these priests would be ordained was in and of itself the pattern and the way that God's children should look forward to his son for redemption. Emma highlights the character of God his foreknowledge and the pre-existence to know his spirit children's exceeding faith and their good works and the ability they had to choose good from evil and to recognize how they chose good. And though we all began at the same standing before God, he knew that some of his children would reject the spirit of God because of their hard hearts and their blind minds. The remarkable thing about being ordained to the Melchizedek priesthood is the humbling realization that God always knew that would be your calling. He had called you before and, and your works had just had led you there to that moment. Nothing prevented you from being able to get there because your thoughts, your words, and your works were aligned with him. To be a high priest after the order of the Son who is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace, equity, and truth. And that this power can sanctify us by the Holy Ghost, purifying us and permitting us to enter into the Lord's rest. And that this is possible because of our faith, repentance, baptism, and receiving the Holy Ghost. How do we increase faith? How do we increase in confidence before the Lord? How do we allow the power of his priesthood to be upon us, to sanctify our efforts of righteousness, to work works of peace and love in our lives, and to be that influence upon those around us like Melchizedek was on the people of Salem? How do we bring light into the world that is growing in darkness? There is so much in the Doctrine and Covenants that we could highlight, that we've been studying this year. But I'm just going to choose one section of verses that sum up nicely what our focus should be. And I refer to you to Doctrine and Covenants section 121, verses 41 through 46. After reminding us that many in the pre-existence were called, but few will be chosen because of their choices they will make here on earth. We're taught that no power or influence can or ought to be maintained by virtue of the priesthood only by persuasion, by long-suffering, 
by gentleness and meekness and by love unfeigned, by kindness and pure knowledge, which shall greatly enlarge the soul without hypocrisy and without guile, reproving betimes with sharpness when moved upon by the Holy Ghost, and then showing forth afterwards an increase of love toward him whom thou hast reproved, lest his esteem thee to be his enemy, that he may know that thy faithfulness is stronger than the cords of death. Let thy bowels also be full of charity towards all men and to the household of faith. And let virtue garnish thy thoughts unceasingly. Then shall thy confidence wax strong in the presence of God. And the doctrine of the priesthood shall distill upon thy soul as the dews from heaven. The Holy Ghost shall be thy constant companion and thy scepter, an unchanging scepter of righteousness and truth. And thy dominion shall be an everlasting dominion. And without compulsory means, it shall flow unto thee forever and ever. Tall order? Yeah. A lifetime to perfect? (laughs) Yeah, for most of us. (laughs) Attainable, though, through our consistent efforts? Yes. It's possible. This scripture is the foundation of the work I do with Sister Scriptorian's Coaching. I've seen confidence increase. The Holy Ghost whisper truth to myself and my clients about their true nature. That my clients exchange pride for a scepter of righteousness and then end our calls feeling that they are now in more control and have dominion over the agency that they've been given. That's awesome, isn't it? It's It's awesome to experience and partner with someone as they're going through that journey. We can do much more than we realize, and it is humbling to know that it is the degree of my faith that is blocking me from the great possibilities that the Lord is willing to work in my life. And to me, that's exciting because I can do something about that right now. If you're excited about doing something as well and want to learn how to tap into the confidence that every part of God's plan has been set up to support you in, Email me at carrie at sisterscriptorians.com. And just as a reminder, I am offering 10 sessions for $200 through the end of the year. At the beginning of 2022, the prices will go up, but if, even if you're on my waiting list, I will honor those prices. I look forward to working with you. All right, I'll see you next week.